Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. for just a few moments about freedom isn't free. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as one, as your body, to encourage one another, to lift one another up. Thank you for letting us come together on Sunday morning in what I like to call your living room, where we can meet our brothers and sisters in Christ and get charged up and ready for the week. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Memorial Day is the time of year that we remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And today we honor them. We honor their families. We honor their sacrifices. Today, however, we're going to celebrate two entities. We're going to celebrate number one, or we have been celebrating, the American soldier who gave their lives so that we could live in freedom. And the second entity that we want to celebrate today is is the entity that we celebrate every day of our lives, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for our eternal freedom. If you have been active military in the past, or you're active military right now, would you please stand so we can honor you by clapping hands right now. Come on. Come on, let's show our appreciation. Amen. I want to say from my heart, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made. And thank you so much, some of you, for being there when others paid the ultimate sacrifice, made that ultimate sacrifice. The history of Memorial Day uh, begins uh, toward the end of the Civil War, which ended in the spring of 1865 and was known as the war that claimed more lives than any conflict in U.S. history. And it was also uh, the war that became, became necessary for us to establish our first national cemeteries. By the late 1860s, Americans in various towns and cities had begun holding springtime tributes to these countless fallen soldiers, decorating their gla- graves with flowers and reciting prayers, and it eventually became known as Decoration Day. It wasn't until after World War II that the holiday gained strong following and national identity and it officially became known as Memorial Day in 1967. The final event that submitted Memorial Day in our modern culture happened in 1968 when Congress passed what is called the Uniform Holiday Act designating Memorial Day as the last Monday in May. So nationally... The most solemn ceremony is at the tomb of the unknown soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. Now many see this day as a long weekend. They see it as a time to get together with family and friends and to cook hamburgers and hot dogs and, and uh, play basketball or whatever, whatever you do on those weekends. And, but those who have lost loved ones in war, it's, it's more than that. It's a lot more important than that, in fact. And I think that we should take some time today and, we, and tomorrow to remember the freedoms that we enjoy because of the brave men and the brave women who have given their lives so that we could live 
in freedom. And so we honor them today and we'll honor them tomorrow and we love them and we're grateful for them and we should never ever forget the meaning of Memorial Day. Today I want to talk to you about uh, another thing though. I want to talk to you about the memory of Christ. I want us to remember the cross. I want us to remember the death of Jesus Christ. I want us to remember the life of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the cross. The cross is the pivotal point of history. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no redemption. There is no cleansing from sin. There is no change that takes place in our heart and our life without the cross of Jesus Christ. And we need to realize that according to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, that the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we need to realize that we bear some of the blame of the death of Jesus Christ. Us in our sinful state. Because we have to give in to temptation, like some people say. Or I just can't quit sin. Well, Jesus died because of that. And so Jesus suffered. He was humiliated. He was beaten. He was spit upon. And He hung on a cross because He knew that one day there would be people that was living sin-filled lives that would need redemption. And so today we're thankful for the cross of Jesus. Now let me say this. God loves you so much that if you would have been the only one that needed Him to come to this earth and die, God would have still sent His Son Jesus to come and die for you. You have great value to God. Look at your neighbor and say, you have great value to God. You're valuable to God. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 14, it says, It's not the will of our Heavenly Father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones would perish. So God cares about us corporately, but He's also big enough to care about us individually. The thing that I love so much about the power of the cross is not only does it destroy sin, but the power of the cross is so powerful that it destroys the power of sin over our lives. Not only does it destroy the power of sin over our lives, but it makes grace available to us. Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that or so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too could walk in newness of life. Jesus ended the old so that He could establish the new. Jesus ended the old. He buttoned up the law. Jesus satisfied the law. He ended the old so that He could establish the new. And we have the opportunity and the privilege to be invited into this family of God because of Calvary's cross. Then we go to Romans chapter 6 verses 11 through 14 and it says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So I don't consider myself a sinner anymore. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. 
I was a sinner. I was lost and undone. I was out there searching, but now I found Jesus. And I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner who was saved by grace. But now I'm washed. But now I'm cleansed. But now I'm sanctified. But now I'm justified. But now I'm made new because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I walk in newness of life, not the oldness of the letter. Amen. Hallelujah. So that's just the, uh, verse number 11. Now verse number 12 says this, Because of that, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions or to obey, to obey its lust. You mean I have a choice? That's right. You choose whether you're going to let sin reign in your body. You choose whether you're going to let sin dictate your life. You choose whether you're going... Jesus provided a way out on Calvary. We remember the sacrifice that He made. Well, I just can't quit sinning. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. You sin because you want to keep sinning. He has provided the way out. And the Bible said, Let not sin reign in our mortal bodies to make us obey its passions. That word passion is fire or inferno. There's the passion of lust. There's the passion of covetousness. There's the passion of the works of the flesh. And if we feed that and give into that, it will burn in us like a consuming fire. But you can quench the fire by giving your life to Jesus Christ. You can quench the fire by embracing what Calvary offers. And this is how you do it. Verse number 13. It says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For the, so the choice that I have is I present myself to sin as an instrument of sin, and I reap death, or I present myself as an instrument to God, and I reap newness of life, and eventually eternal life. The choice is mine. It's really not hard to make, is it? It's kind of one of those duh moments. What should I do? Should I give myself over to sin, to the passion of sin, or should I embrace not just the message of the cross, but the work of the cross and allow that work to cleanse me of not only my sin, but to cleanse me of the passion of that sin, the inferno of that sin, the burning of that sin, the temptation of that sin inside of me. Well, I choose to, to give myself to God. I choose myself, I choose to give myself to, he, to Him who can give me newness of life. And then the Bible said in verse 14, when we do that, that sin will no longer have dominion over us. Sin will no longer have dominion over us. Why? Because we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. What is grace? Grace is God's ability to do in you and for you what you cannot do in yourself or for yourself. So you say you can't quit sinning? Then you're not under grace. You're still under law. You choose. Why don't you move? Why don't you move from under the law over to under grace? 
Why don't you quit trying to do it yourself and allow God to do it through you? You see, here's the thing. When you enter the throne room of grace, and all of us have been invited into the throne room of grace. When you enter the throne room of grace, then you receive God's ability where your ability falls short. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted like as we are. Jesus battled lust. Well, the Bible said that he was tempted like as we are. Jesus battled covetousness. Have you ever coveted something that you shouldn't have? Come on. Jesus battled that. Jesus probably battled at times hatred. It would have been hard for me not to hate those religious zealots that were sending out orders to have me killed. I mean, after all, if I was Jesus, I would have been thinking to myself, I'm the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. We breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, and they they wouldn't even be living if it wasn't for us. Now they're trying to kill me. If I was Jesus, well, I was going to say I'd be thinking that, but if I was Jesus, I'm sure I wouldn't have been thinking that. But you understand what I'm trying to say here. So the Bible says that we have a high priest. He went through what we went through. He experienced pain. He experienced suffering. He experienced loneliness. He experienced temptation. He experienced thirst and hunger and peace and joy and love and happiness and all of those emotions that come natural with human experience. Jesus experienced all of those. And the Bible said that he still did not sin. And so we go to verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4, which is the next verse. And the Bible said, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. He offers us presence at the throne of grace. Think about that. You have been invited to the throne of of grace. And when you get in that throne room, the Bible said, let us draw near to that throne of grace. So what we're doing is we're drawing near to God's ability. We're drawing near to to the things that He can do for us that we can't do ourselves. And when you give audience to God in the throne of grace and you experience God's ability to do in you and for you what you can't do in yourself or for yourself, which is the definition of grace, then when you leave that throne room, you walk out of there singing that scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're realizing that it's not your own effort. It's not your own ability. There are things you can't do on yourself. There are sins you can't overcome on yourself. There are temptations you can't overcome yourself. You need God's help. So access the throne of grace, obtain mercy, and find grace to help you in that time of need. Now look at Romans 6 verses 22 and 23. Here's what the Bible says. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Sanctification means set apart for a holy purpose. So, we've been set free from sin. 
we have become bond servants of God. And the result of that is that we now can operate in that holy service that God created us for. And the end of that is eternal life. And then verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So once again, we're faced with a choice. Sin, which leads to death, or God, which leads to life. God's grace, God's love, and God's care. So then, let's talk about this. Not only do we talk about His death, not only are we thankful for the cross, not only are we thankful for the fact that we have great value to God, but I want us to also remember His life. There's a lot that's said in Scripture about His death, but if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most of those passages, most of those chapters and verses, uh, when you read them all together, are more about His life than His death. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we know that Jesus Christ is the central figure of all Christianity, that humanity hinges upon His life. So we should remember how He lived. We should look at how He lived. We should look at how He taught. Because through His life, He instructed us how to live. He said this, He said, whatever I do, you can do also. Because he said, I'm going to go to my Father and send back the Holy Spirit, which is the power that caused him to do what he did. Our lives should reflect the life that Jesus lived. That means that we should be loving. That means that we should be compassionate. That means that we should be forgiving. That means that we should love our enemies. That means that, that when we didn't know what to do, we should just run somewhere alone and spend time alone with the Lord until communication with our Heavenly Father once again recharged our spirit and recharged our soul so we can come and give the devil trouble again. Amen. You're called to give the devil trouble. Jesus instructed us on how to live through His everyday life experience. He showed us to love everyone that we came in contact with. Hanging on the cross with nails in his hands and his feet, with the crown of thorns shoved down on his brow, with his back torn into smithereens and probably come around the sides when they whipped him there at the whipping post, with nails in his feet, Jesus in great love cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We would say, put them in hell. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What do you do when someone tries to crucify you? What did Jesus do? He prayed for them. What should we do? Pray for them. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. He alleviated pain everywhere that He went. And He taught us how to live righteous before the Lord. Now the last thing that I want to share with you here today is this. We've talked about Memorial Day. We're grateful for our servicemen and women who have went home, went on uh, and given their lives for us. We're grateful for Calvary's cross. We're thankful for the death of Jesus, but we're also thankful for His life. Now I want to ask you this question. What will your memorial be? In other words, what will your legacy be? You are creating your legacy right now. 
my mind goes to the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. You can read there. Later on, you can read it. And, and there we call it the Hall of Faith. As I was putting this together, I was also thinking about the woman with the widow's mite. She had two mites, and she came, and she gave all that she had. Over 2,000 years later, preachers around the globe are still telling that lady's story. That's her legacy. Then I thought about my mind went to the prodigal son, which is really a story about the love of the father. More than the son going away, it was about how the father could accept when the son came home. What a great story of the compassion of our Heavenly Father. How when we wander away, He still looks down the dusty road waiting for the faint glimmer of us coming back to Him. What a wonderful story. That story continues to be told today. It's the legacy of the Father, not the legacy of the sin of the Son. It's the legacy of the Father's love. And the Bible is littered with the legacies of the saints. Now I want to ask you this question. What will your legacy be? Let's bring it down to where we live. Whose life are you impacting for God? Let's bring it even closer than that. What will your legacy be, Mom and Dad? Mama and Papa, how will your kids remember you? Will they remember you as a godly person who loved them, who cared for them, who provided for them, who protected them, who did what they needed to do to make sure that everything was okay? Or will they remember someone who was serving God for a while and then not serving God for a while in church, out of church, loving God, not loving God, in church one day at the bar the next? Is that what they're going to remember? Are they, are they going to remember broken homes and broken dreams and broken hearts and broken emotions as, as the spirit of rage makes its way through your home? Is that what your legacy is going to be? It don't have to be. It don't have to be. Especially if you have love, you have young children. You have this loving opportunity to begin to do. Well, that's what my mother always did. My dad, he always screamed at us. He always hollered at us. You can break that generational curse over your family. Your kids and your kids don't have to grow up in the same environment you did. Well, I just don't know. You've got Jesus. You've got the Word of God. Well, you know, my, my, you know, the, the daddy's not here. You have a heavenly father. The mama's not here. The Bible said he'll be a father to you. He'll be a mother to you. He'll be a son to you. He'll be a daughter to you. Jesus can fill the gap. He can fill the gap. I'm encouraging you today, make sure that you present the right legacy for your kids. And here's what I've learned. All of my kids are really grown up now. I mean, they're not just a little bit grown up. They're really grown up. Nikki and Susie, well, let's just put it this way. In two years, they'll be like over the 30 mark. I mean, my goodness. I'm, this past week, I'm like, dear Lord, I'm thinking to myself, am I getting old or what? And then I, you know, I told Donna, we were on our way down to Boca uh, a couple of days ago to sign some schools up. And I looked at her and I told her, I said, honey, I said, our kids are like way grown up. I said, they're not like even little, like 18, 19, 20. And we said, I said, they're like way grown up. They're like old grown up. You're welcome, Nikki. I love you, baby. I love you, baby. I want my kids, I'm learning as I get older, that 
we're still forming our legacy with our kids. It's never too late to work on your legacy. You hear me? I don't care if your kids are 30 years old. You can still work on that legacy because the influence of your life will be felt in your family for generations to come. They're going to look back and they're going to say, Dad was. And then one day they're going to look at some little person and say, Your Papa was. And then someday they're going to look at another little person and they're going to say, Your great Papa was. Most all of us can go back five generations. What kind of legacy? Father. Are you leaving for your sons and your daughters? What kind of legacy, mom, are you leaving for your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren? You need to ask yourself this. What am I setting in motion for my future generations? What will your legacy be? The legacy of our servicemen and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice has already been said. We stand here today living their legacy. This wonderful country, land of the free, home of the brave. I can stand and declare the word of God and for the most part, and I can say 100% because we have a great safety team around here, I don't have to worry about someone coming in and shooting me dead just because I'm teaching Jesus and preaching Jesus to you. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for that. What about the legacy that Jesus left on the cross? His legacy was a legacy of sacrifice. It was a legacy of love. It was a legacy of consecration. It was a legacy of care. When he rose from the dead, it's a legacy of supernatural power, overcoming the power of death, hell, and the grave. What about your legacy? What are people going to remember you for? Here's what I want to encourage you today. You can work on your family's legacy by doing one simple thing. Just keep giving them Jesus. Just keep giving them Jesus. It's not complicated. Sometimes it can be hard because it's not always easy to look at the rascals and say God loves you too. That's required. I love my children dearly, but I no longer give them permission to mess up my emotions. They were raised right. They're old enough now to make the right decision or the wrong decision and live with the consequences but I've invested in them. And whether they make right decisions or wrong decisions, there's one thing my kids will never, ever, ever, ever wonder. Two things. Number one, does my daddy still love me? That's number one. And number two, they'll never wonder if daddy loved God. That is more important than leaving your house to your kids, than leaving your bank account to your kids, 
than giving them all your stocks and bonds, that old car that you've been worshiping for the last 50 years, that's sitting in your driveway or your garage gathering dust, dust that one of these days is going to just go ahead and rot away. It's beautiful now. Sell it to somebody. You make some money right now. You can leave that to your kids and it still won't hold a candle to a legacy of giving them Jesus. Don't just give them Jesus. Show them how to live for Him. Model Him to them. So my challenge to you today is twofold. Number one, let's pray for our servicemen and women who are in harm's way and their families, some who have endured the ultimate sacrifice. And then the second thing that I challenge you today is to work on your legacy. Make sure your kids keep hearing about Jesus from you. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.